The Student Ministry Podcast you are about to hear is a sermon preached by Brother Larry Chapel at the 2011 Lancaster Baptist Winter Retreat. Brother Chapel serves in the youth ministry of Lancaster Baptist Church, and we hope this message is a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 14. Philippians 3.14 says this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. We know during this time when this passage was written, the Greek Olympic Games were in full swing. And that's why Paul was using this type of terminology because people could easily relate in their minds to the Olympic Games. So we know that and we're not going to talk about that today. I really want to focus on one phrase found in this verse. Look at it one more time. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in God, of God in Christ Jesus. I want to look at that two words here. The two words are high calling. I woke up this morning and I went uh, to my window and opened it up and I looked right outside my window and I saw a few things from my window. Uh, if you were on the same side of the building, you might have seen the same things. You may not have known what they were, but a few things you could see looking right outside the side of, uh, of the window. First of all, you could see Angel Stadium. You could see, and barely could make it out, but I could see that this morning. The second thing I could see uh, was the Crystal Cathedral. I don't know if you've ever driven by the Crystal Cathedral. It was probably one of the most prominent things. It's a church building. They don't preach the gospel. Uh, they're, they're, they're not a church like we are, but it, it has a beautiful building. It's the Crystal Cathedral, and they put on a big Christmas production uh, every year and a big Easter production, but they've, they've, they, they've gone away from the gospel, um, and, uh, but they're, they're a beautiful building there still. And then the other building I saw was a building that none of you guys would recognize. It was a, it's a bigger building. If I pointed it out to you, you would see it, but you'd not know what it was. When I was, uh, when I was uh, my f- freshman year of college, and really I was thinking about some of you guys that are seniors. Where are the seniors? Raise your hands. Uh, I would have been, I counted it up on my hands. I would have been eight months older than you guys are now. Uh, I got a big job opportunity. It was a job opportunity that lasted me all the way through college. Uh, I got a phone call from a guy that we probably all know his name now, Rex Paris. He's our mayor in our city. But at the time, I didn't really know. I knew his name. I didn't know much about him. But I got a call to come and help him out to work a case. And this was a temporary thing. It was a one-week case. And uh, it was right down here in Anaheim. And uh, I'd never done anything like this. And I didn't know the area of Anaheim. But I remember coming down uh, in this area. I feel like I know Anaheim pretty well because I spent... Uh, that week there, and, and a lot of driving around. I, I, I learned the streets, you know, Harbor, Beach, Catella, um, Chapman, and I kind of learned this area a little bit. But as I looked out this morning on my room, I could see that building where I went for a week, and we, we had a uh, mediation there, and it was a huge case. It's kind of like a trial. There we had a judge, and there were several attorneys there. It was a big deal. The case eventually settled for $150 million. That's how big of a deal it was. And I knew a few things were at stake. First of all, I wanted, I wanted to keep on working for this guy because it paid really well. Um, I heard a lot of good things about working for him. Uh, and uh, the other thing that I knew in the back of my mind was that this was a big case and I didn't want to mess anything up. I remember coming down when I, when I got the phone call that there was this job opportunity and I said, yes, I'd do it. Uh, I came down here and I was just going to be really working as an assistant and helping out with uh, anything as far as like technology goes, just hooking up projectors and screens and stuff like that. 
And I remember I came down here the weekend before, and I, I just kind of scoped the place out. And it was a crazy week. Uh, I got here, and I remember the, the first day, it was just right off the bat, I was given things to do. Do this, do this. And man, I was the whole time, I was so nervous. But I remember the first day, we finally came into the courtroom. And uh, I remember, I, was, I knew in my mind that I was working for Rex. And uh, so that, I was just going to do whatever he told me to do. And I remember he came, uh, we came into the courtroom, and I got there a few minutes early. And I remember this old man came in. He was, he was kind of a bald man. He comes in. He's got a suit on, and he sits down. I didn't know who he was, but I told him. I said, uh, oh, I'm sorry. That's Rex's seat. And uh, the guy looked at me and says, who are you? And then one of the other attorneys was there. I was like, oh, oh, he didn't mean that. And I just told the judge to get out of Rex's seat. That's not a very good thing to do when you're trying to win the case and you're trying to get the judge to light you. You don't tell the judge to move out of the seat, you know. And then the, the one attorney told him how stupid I was and I was new and everything. And uh, so I knew from that point on I was learning all these little lessons. Well, there was a couple other attorneys there. There were a few people at play. One was Rex. I knew I was working for him. Uh, one was the judge, and I learned right off the bat that you don't tell the judge to get out of a seat. You kind of everyone kind of kisses up to the judge because they want the judge, you know, to give, find them favor in their case. But I met a couple other people, and one of them, his name was Lou Lou Marlin, and this guy was really wealthy. Honestly, one of the wealthiest attorneys in America today. He still has his law firm. In fact, that's another building that you can see from my room is his law firm. And I remember one thing about Lou that really bugged me. It was, it was, yes, his attitude. Yes, he was a jerk. But on top of all this, this guy had like scabs on his hands. I don't know what it was from. And he was kind of an older guy. He was just kind of a scabby old, you know, guy. And I was just, this guy was repulsive to me. And I remember coming in. This is my second day of work and coming in. And I, again, I'm nervous. I've been given things to do. In fact, uh, Rex had told me to do a few things. And as soon as I came in there, I knew I was supposed to hook a few things up. But Lou comes up to me. And Lou's got a problem because one of his fat scabs is bleeding, (laughs) of all things. It was gross. He's like, I need a Band-Aid. And I'm like, okay, well, Lou is one of these people. He seemed like a jerk. I didn't want to mess with him. So I'm like, okay. And I remember running outside that building and running all over the place looking for a Band-Aid for Lou. And I remember going downstairs and in the lobby. I'm asking people, you have a Band-Aid? Because I know we're getting ready to get started. You have a Band-Aid? I'm out there for like 20 minutes, and I finally find a Band-Aid. So I think, man... I did a good thing. I found Lou a Band-Aid. And uh, I remember getting that Band-Aid, going back up uh, up to the courtroom where we're at. We're about ready to get started. Meanwhile, while I was searching for a Band-Aid, Rex was getting ready to start, start the case. And I remember he was looking for me. And I remember uh, when I finally pulled up into the, the courtroom with this Band-Aid, I gave this Band-Aid to Lou. And I remember Rex grabbing me by the back of the head and storming out of the hallway. He says, you need to learn a few things here. He's like, first of all, you don't work for Lou. He's like, Lou can tell you to do whatever. You don't, you don't do that. He's like, there's an order of importance here. And he was being dead serious. And my heart's beating so fast. I've never gotten in trouble like this before. And he says, you've got to realize there's an order of importance here. He says, first of all, at the top of our priority list is the judge. He, he has the highest order. And then he says, and then right under that, he says, is me. He says, you don't do anything else for me. He says, underneath that, then all the other attorneys come. If someone asks you to do something and you're not doing that, then, then you can go ahead. But you've got to understand there's an order of importance. And then he paused for a minute because he knew I was from a, a Christian home. And he knew it was my dad was a pastor. He didn't really know my dad that well at the time. But he says, let me rephrase this. There is a, there is a higher order. And then he says, here's how the order goes. First of all, 
It's God. You know, God's at the top. He's trying to... Anyone been around someone who wasn't super spiritual, but they tried to act like it? For, that's what he was doing. He's like, first of all, there's God. I'm like, okay, I know this. You know, I did go to church. I knew all this. He says, and under God, he says, is... And then he goes, your dad, you know. And he says, so... And then he goes, under your dad is the judge and then me. But I'll never forget that because I worked for him for four more years. And one thing that did for me that day was it put into perspective what my priorities should be. And one thing I learned was that if someone asked me to do something that wasn't Rex, my dad, or God, there was a higher priority to that. There was a higher call. And I, I, I might go get a Band-Aid for someone else if I had nothing else to do, but for the most part, there was a higher call. Some things I learned had a higher priority. And I believe the same applies to us on a spiritual level. Many things call for our attention. Many things call for our consideration. Uh, many things, you've got, some of you guys have got some huge decisions to think about. I've, I've even talked to some of you in the past week. Uh, colleges that you're going to go to. Uh, career choices that you're going to make. Uh, some of you guys maybe that are in younger grades, you have so many things, I don't know, sports, friends, whatever, calling for your attention. And many things call for our attention. But there can only be one high calling. There can only be one high calling. As high schoolers, I think, and I can remember being a high schooler just a few years ago, uh, being a high schooler, uh, you are naturally bad at prioritizing things. I remember being in high school, and I remember wanting to watch every Dodger game that was on. So I'd come home on TV, and when I had homework, when I had something to do, I still sat down and watched every Dodger game. It was a stupid thing to do because it was not the right priority. But naturally, I think as a high schooler, you are learning a bit how to prioritize some things. How many guys have ever been there? Like, you come to school, you know, and everyone's turning your research paper, and you never even knew you had to do a research paper. (laughs) You guys ever been there like that? You know, it's not that you were a day late or you forgot to turn your cards and you just didn't even flat know you had a research paper. You'd, you'd never done a research paper, you know. It, we're naturally bad at prioritizing these things. And so I think that is all the more important to take consideration of some things in our lives. The term high calling means a call from above. That's what it literally means, a call from above. This is a call from God. If you remember nothing else from what I say this morning, remember that there is an order, there is a priority, and there is nothing higher than God's call. No friend, no sports team, no television show, no college, no career is of higher importance than God and then God's calling in your life. And when I talk about God's calling, I'm talking about God's purpose for you. Now, there's a common error that some people make in their mentality towards the call of God. And the common error is that some people think that God's call is not for me. Uh, in the Bible, we see different types of call. We're not gonna, it's not going to be a, 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 a college class this morning, but there are different types of call in the Bible. I think it's cool that God called specific people to do a specific task. For instance, God called Noah to build an ark. God didn't call everyone to build an ark. Uh, God looked down. Noah was an upright, a righteous man, and God called him to do a specific task. And there are specific callings. Sometimes we refer to them as vocational callings. 
Uh, for some of you, I do believe that God would have a specific call on your life. Maybe to be a pastor or to be a missionary uh, or whatever that may be. Uh, but I would be the last person to stand up here and say that every one of you in here is called to be a pastor. That's not how it works. There's a specific call. And I believe that God, God has a specific call for each of you, but it's, it's different for each of you. There's a specific call. But then in the Bible, there are general calls. There is a general call of things that we, every single one of us, are not exempt from. A general, I think of the general call to salvation. The call to salvation was not just uh, to some people. It was to everybody. So there are general calls. There are specific calls. But today, without overcomplicating things, I want to say that God's calling on our life, generally, it's to every single one of us. And while some of you may be pastors and some of you may be missionaries and some of you may go into law enforcement and do something else, God has still called each and every one of us to be full-time Christians dedicated to His work. So sometimes we think of it as just, hey, uh, that's for someone else. Uh, but this isn't an option given. God doesn't give us the option to be a Christian. God doesn't give us uh, the option to follow him if we want to. And if you don't, that's cool. No, that's not how it works. God calls us to a life of surrender, a life of dedication. Uh, I think of the call to tell others about Christ, uh, the, the Great Commission. That was not given to just missionaries. That was given to each of us as God's children to tell others about Christ. So God's call, first of all, if you have this mindset of, okay, I'm going to tune this off. Don't worry. I don't even have to worry about this higher call because that's not me. I'm not going to be a pastor or whatever. I I don't even know what I'm doing. No, it's especially for you, for each of us to remember the priority of the high call in our life. I remember one time I was driving on the freeway with my friend, and I won't name his name. He... uh, he picked me up from the airport one morning. It was very early. We were heading back from LAX. We we're heading from LAX back up to Lancaster. And I remember, I don't know, I like, I like getting into an airport early and driving up the freeway, especially when it was kind of a reverse commute. You guys know on the 14, all the traffic's coming uh, uh, south in the mornings, but we were heading north back up to Lancaster. So, man, we were, it was early. The sun was just rising, and we were kind of flying on the freeway. And uh, sure enough, when you fly on the freeway, these guys with little lights on their car like to come up behind you. And that's exactly what happened to my friend. And I remember this uh, CHP officer comes real fast right up on my, 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 my friend's uh, tailgate, right up on his bumper. And I remember... Um, I remember thinking, oh, hey, dude, you're going to get pulled over. You know, I don't know why they do that. Some of you guys that are driving, uh, some of you guys, if you've been pulled over before, man, sometimes these, these police officers, they like to come up right behind you and then scare you for a few minutes. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, am I going to get a ticket? Am I going to get a ticket? And then you sit there for like two minutes and then they turn the light on. You know, it makes it like so much worse. And that's what was happening on this day. And uh, this police officer came up right behind me and my friend. I wasn't driving. My friend was driving. And uh, he came up right behind him. I'm like, oh, dude, you're going to get pulled over. And sure enough, just a second later, the lights went on. And uh, I, I've been pulled over a couple times. As soon as I do, I'm like, as quickly as I can, I pull over. I don't want to call back up, get a helicopter on me, you know, like those people do on TV. Uh, I don't want there to be any mistake that, okay, I surrender, I'm going to pull over, you know. In fact, one time I got a speeding ticket where I was with brother husband. I was driving really fast uh, up northern California trying to get to a wedding. And I knew I was driving fast. And all of a sudden I see the CHP officers coming this side. He, he came this way, and in the most dramatic fashion, 
cross the, the freeway. Okay, you know how they have the dirt in between the two, two lanes, two freeways? He crossed it going like 100 miles an hour. And then when he gets over this way, he does this big like fishtail, you know. And I'm like, I knew he was coming for me. So I pulled over before he even got behind me. You know, I knew it was me. And sure enough, he came to me. And he, yeah, it was me. And I got my ticket that day. But so I know how to pull over for a police officer. But I remember my friend was sitting there. And uh, he starts like reasoning with himself. Rather than pull over, you know, and ask questions later. He's sitting there and he, he, he's still driving. I'm like, dude, they're going to bring the helicopter. You know, we're going to be on TV. We're going to get pulled over and everything. And uh, uh, they're going to lay out a spike strip for us. And he, uh, he, but he's sitting there and he, he's not pulling over. He goes, man, I don't think I was speeding at all. Well, don't get, care what you think, you know. Maybe you weren't. Maybe he wants to, I don't know, tell you good morning or something like that. Uh, but whatever it is, you better pull over. And he's sitting there. He's like, no. He's like, this can't be. He's like, I was looking at my speedometer and I wasn't speeding or whatever. And then I'm like, dude, that's all fine and well, but you should probably pull over right now. And uh, he goes, I don't think he's, I don't think he's trying to pull me over. I'm like, dude, you're like the only person on this freeway. It's you. And he, uh, he gets kept on driving. And he said, um, he's like, that's insane. You know, he just starts talking and talking. I'm finally like, dude, just pull over. And, and as soon as I said, fine, I'm starting to get scared, you know. And sure enough, the guy gets on his like bullhorn and he starts telling him, you better pull over right now. And finally he pulled over. And that guy was, was not happy when he came up to the window. He's like, why didn't you pull over right away? And uh, you know what? I, th- I look back to the day. I don't know what my friend was thinking. He's an idiot. He was stupid, you know, to not pull over. But God, I think we do the same thing sometimes with God's will and God's calling. We're not sure, you know. Are you, talk- are you talking to me? That can't possibly be for me. I have no interest in church. I have no interest in spiritual things. Uh, all I care about is my friends and this and that. And I think sometimes we have that same mindset, that same mentality that my friend had because he didn't want to get pulled over, I think we have the same mindset towards uh, the calling of God in our life. Those who have a higher calling think through some things differently. They do things differently. I want to give you a few things, and that's where I want you to write them down, because if, if you recognize the high call, this is all I want to do this morning, is bring to your attention the fact that you may have some things going on in your life, and you might be part of a sports program, and you may do ballet on the side, and you might like to skateboard, and you might like this television show. And you, you look at every single one of you guys in here, and all of you guys got something going on that you like, that you are interested. But let me just tell you, none of that is as important as the high call of God. A higher call. And that's exactly what Paul knew here in this passage. That, hey, it's okay to have some things going on. It's okay to like sports. It's okay to play sports. It's okay to do these things as long as you know that, hey, there's a higher call. I think sometimes our minds aren't totally developed. And, and the, our highest thought all day is, you know, what prank are we going to pull? Or what are we going to do here? Or, uh, or uh, where are we going to go to eat? Or, and there's some more important questions to be answered than that. Because there is a higher call. Those who live for a higher call, first of all, you can write this down, have a different value system. Those who live for a higher call have a different value system. We read just one verse this morning in Philippians, but for each one of these points, I want to pull back to another verse real quick. Uh, Verse number seven says this, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, 
that I may win Christ. Okay? I think we all know what the word dung means. Um, it's a biblical word that you can do a word study. It's dog poop, basically. And the Apostle Paul here is saying, everything that I thought was important, I count it as dung. See, the Apostle Paul, if you don't remember, uh, he used to be called by the name of Saul. And Saul actually persecuted Christians, assisted in the killing of Christians. And Saul had a conversion on the road to Damascus, and some things changed in his life. And some of you guys, you've grown up in church your whole life, and you are so far removed from that conversion experience. Some of you were like me. Uh, You accepted Christ when you were like five years old. And I bet many of you were like that. And, and, and you have a hard time uh, comprehending the goodness of God and the goodness of salvation. The goodness of God and the goodness of salvation because you're so far removed uh, from that day you got saved. Don't, don't let that be the case with you. Uh, God's goodness uh, to us and God's, this, the salvation that God has extended to us should be just as real today as it was the day you got saved, even if you were five. Uh, We must have a different value system. Our nation has a value system that's always changing. Uh, You look at society and culture, even in our nation, America, a couple of hundred years ago, contrast it to our value system today, things have changed. I think a perfect example is a song that Mark sang last night, where we're working to save the trees and we kill the babies. That's a perfect example of a value system that is completely wrong, completely backwards. A corrupted society, a corrupted world that we are born into, a sin nature that we have. That same sin nature is the sin nature within our hearts. And that is the same flesh. And even though we're, we're children of God this morning, we still have to battle the flesh on, the, on a daily basis. That's why... Paul said that he died daily. He crucified himself. He was crucified with Christ. We must have a different value system. Those who have a higher call value things differently. Look, those who don't recognize God's call in their life, they place no value on what's going on right now. That's the preaching of God's word. They just don't value it. You don't see how this could be important for your life. This is something you just want to get over. So you don't have to whisper to your friends. You can just talk freely. You can get on the bus and you can continue your conversation. But those who recognize God, your calling is higher than anything else. Realize the importance of what's going on right now. And when I walked down the hallway last night, I saw some guys down there. I won't name their names, but down on their knees praying. And you know what? I saw some guys that valued this retreat, not for the Knottsbury farm and not for the food and not for the bus ride so they can sit close to their girlfriend, but because... Uh, They value what can take place spiritually in their life here at this retreat. They value different things. Those who recognize the high call of God in their life value things. That's exactly what Paul did. Paul was an educated man. Paul was a learned man. Paul had a guy who had a lot of credentials and he names them off right at the very beginning of this passage. But he says, I don't value any of those things. Uh, Some of you guys have found an identity and maybe a hobby or maybe a sport or maybe uh, um, your good grades and you're going to get a scholarship. And all those things are good. And you should strive for those things as long as they are not higher uh, than God's call in your life. We value different things. Those who live for a higher call have a different value system. Our generation, we we value entertainment. We value... uh, retardation, you know, 
oh, we'll pay big money to go see some, some, someone do something really stupid, you know. Um, we value different things. Those who live for a high call have a v- different value system. Secondly, those who live for a higher call are willing to sacrifice. Verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. It's hard to comprehend what Paul's saying here. I understand the first part. He says, Paul says, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection. You know what? Honestly, we'd be stupid to say, I don't want power in our life. You know, I don't want power. I don't want, you know, I don't want that. We all want power. We all want the ability to control situations, control other people, uh, make things happen. Uh, we all want the power. Paul says, I want the power of your resurrection. But you know what he, he, uh, he said? Just as much as I want your power, he says, I want the fellowship of his suffering. Paul was willing to make a sacrifice. The sacrifices that we make today are laughable in comparison to sacrifices of previous generations. We call, sometimes, you know, we're going to give up television for a week, and we're going to have a media fast, and we call it a sacrifice. While the same people generations ago, and you know what, not even generations ago, but nations removed from us, give their lives, have their hands chopped off, stuff like that, in Muslim countries, and that's their sacrifice, and we call turning off our television sacrifice. I'm not saying, and, and I hope that none of us in this room are pers- persecuted for our faith. But we must be willing to sacrifice. We must be willing to sacrifice. Some of you guys, man, you're so in love with uh, movies and uh, Xbox and this and that, that you're not willing to sacrifice any time with that to read your Bible. You don't want to sacrifice any time with your girlfriend. Some of you guys like someone at church and you spend every waking moment at church with your girlfriend at the expense of your own walk with God. Again, guys, you should have a girlfriend. That's a good thing. But that should not be a higher calling. Her calling on your life is not as high as God's calling on your life. So we must be willing to sacrifice. Thirdly, If we're going to live for a higher call, we must have a realistic view of self. A realistic view of self. Verse number 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I love this because you think of of the Apostle Paul. He formulated much of the doctrine of the New Testament that we know today. He wrote most of the New Testament. This guy, honestly... Of every Christian that ever lives, you ask any theologian, and they say, Apostle Paul, he was the man. The way he lived, the way he preached, the way he traveled, what he sacrificed, what he did, he was the man. But you know, the Apostle Paul says, I don't know anything. He says, I count on myself to have apprehended. We must have a realistic view of self. Some of you guys' problem, and oftentimes mine included, is that we don't realize how bad we're doing. I have, a, I have a tendency sometimes to hear a message and say, oh man, that's good. So-and-so needs that. You know, some of you guys, when I said, uh, you know, I talked about the girlfriend, all the guys in here that don't have a girlfriend, they're like, yeah, that guy needs that. You know, he's, that girlfriend's a higher call. And you guys are thinking of someone else. And sometimes we can think of everyone else's problem, but we don't think of ourselves. We must have a realistic view of ourselves. We are sinners. 
We are, we are defiled people. Only by, by God's grace can we do anything good. We must have a realistic view of self. And some of you guys, I'm just simply asking you, some of you guys who seem to have it all figured out, even if you think you're doing, you're doing okay, that's good. But understand, you have not apprehended. You have not arrived. That is the pride in our heart. That is the sinful nature that wants you to think that you're okay. None of us in this room, including myself, are okay. I count my, myself to have apprehended. Have a realistic view of self. Some of you, your biggest problem is that you think you have everything figured out, but you're not thinking realistically. You're not thinking biblically. So those who live for a higher call have a different value system. They're willing to sacrifice. They have a realistic view of self. Then number four, they continually press forward. Verse number 14 says this, I press toward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Here was Paul. He could have pulled up and said, okay, I've done my part. And some of you guys, let me say, um, Brother Merritt called me on the phone uh, a couple days ago. And I really appreciated this about Brother Merritt. He talked to me for about 30 minutes about you guys. I didn't give him any names, not that he would have known any of you. But he said, tell me, tell me about your youth group. He said, tell me some things that they're going through. Tell me some struggles they're going through. And I told him some. Uh, tell me some of the, the good teens. What, 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 what are they doing that's good? Tell me about some of the bad ones. What are they doing that's bad? And you know, I, I told him, we have an awesome youth group. But we haven't arrived. Uh, you can't, you, we don't hit this plateau in the Christian life. The Christian life, there's no standstill in the Christian life. Continue to press forward. And here's what I'm saying. Some of you guys are doing really well. Some of you guys have a good testimony. Some, some of you guys, your testimony is intact. But maybe, and I, I have no idea who this would be, but maybe you just aren't pressing forward as you should. Maybe uh, God's calling in your life, God's purpose has been accompanied with some gifts that you aren't using. Maybe you're not serving as you should be. You know, pressing forward is tiring. Tiring. I remember one time, um, a couple years ago, I was out hunting. And uh, I remember I was hunting with my father-in-law, and we hunted all week. And we were, we were tired, walking, walking, walking. And finally, on the very last day, I was able to, to shoot a buck. And I remember that I was really excited about that. And it was getting close to dark. I didn't know this, but where we were and where we were hunting... I've hunted before, and they brought like four-wheelers in to come and pull your game out. Well, this particular day, uh, we had to drag it out ourselves. And I'm telling you, I was about to have a heart attack dragging this several hundred-pound several hundred animal through the woods. And, man, I just wanted, I wanted to leave it there. I'm like, I don't even care that I shot, you know. I just want to go home, you know, have some Fruit Loops or something. I'm not, I'm not going to starve if I don't have this. And I remember it was probably one of the most difficult things I ever did, but it was continually, you know what we did? Me and my father-in-law, we drug that thing hundreds of yards, but just two or three yards at a time. And we took a break. And then we go again. We go again. That's what it means to continually press forward. Some of you guys, you say, well, I tried. I, I, you know, last week, I did really well. But I just don't feel like doing well. Some of you guys say, last week, you know, I took a stand. And I even told someone, don't do that. Or, you know, that's not a good thing. But I just don't want to do that this week. Continually press forward. Some of you guys, I'm so proud of the stand that you've taken. But don't let up. That's all I'm saying. Don't let up. If you have a higher calling, you don't let up. Those who have a higher calling have a realistic view of self. And those who have a higher calling 
continually press forward. Number five, those who have a higher calling endeavor to think as God thinks. Endeavor to think as God thinks. Verse number 15 says this, Let us therefore as many be perfect be thus minded. I like that phrase, thus minded. Say, hey, let's think together. And you know what Paul's saying here? Let's all get on the same page. Uh, earlier on in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about having, let this mind uh, be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Those who have a higher calling will adapt their thinking to that higher call. I mentioned a while ago uh, my job that I got. And it was a good job, but throughout the next four years, I had to constantly think as my boss would think. Not as Larry would think, but I always ask myself, how would Rex think? Uh, and after a long time, I'm telling you, after four years, I traveled all over the country with him. Uh, we did some pretty amazing things. I went on family vacation with him. And of anyone there that worked at the law firm, I know for sure I knew more how he thought than anyone else. And I had grown attorneys coming up and asking me, what would Rex think about this? And I would tell him because I knew I spent time with him. And as you spend time with God, you will develop the mind of Christ. The Christian life is about conforming your mind, changing your mind to his. It's not about what you think. Some, some of us are so opinionated, you know, you can even be corrected. And in the middle of your correction, you're like, but you know what? I think this and that. Just pause for a moment. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. Endeavor to think as God would think. I was looking at this one. You can honestly put this one first, because if you start to think as God thinks, all these other things start to fall in place. You sacrifice as you should. You live as you should. You talk as you should. Endeavor to think as God would think. There's some people, ever have someone that you just like, everything, everything you mention becomes a disagreeable argument. Maybe a friend, you know. You say, man, that's nice. And they say, no, it's not. That's ugly, you know. Uh, I, I have one, one friend I work with at church. Again, I won't name his name. But anytime we're working on a video project together, uh, I'll say, hey, we should do this. And he goes, no, nah, we should do this. I'm like, dude, no. I've been here a lot longer. I've been doing a lot more videos than you. We should do this. He's like, no, nah, I just don't think it looks good. I'm like, dude, just shut up. <laughs> you know, let's just do this video. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it this way. And sometimes with other people, we have a hard time getting on the same page. Here's the good news. You don't have to try to think like me. You don't have to try to think like Brother Schmidt. Uh, you don't have to try to think like pastors. Sometimes I hear Brother Merritt, Brother Schmidt, and others preach, and I think, man, there's no way I could think like that or come up with a thought like that. But that's not my goal. The goal is Christ, to let Christ's mind be in us. Those who have a higher call endeavor to think as God thinks. Number six, those who have a higher call set an example for others. I feel like, I feel like as you start to go through these things, none of us are perfect. None of us will master this list, I'm telling you this, in our lifetime. But it's something to strive for. But as you start to see, hey, there's something more important than what I want to do, than what I'm doing, than what I think's funny at the moment. There's something more important than that. You know what you will begin to do? You'll begin to set an example for others. Some of you guys have already done a great job of this. You've already done a great job of setting examples for others. Let me tell you a few people who you specifically are setting examples to. Uh, you may not believe it, but you set an example for the adults in our church. Even your parents. 
And I know they have authority over it. I'm not saying you have a higher authority. But you can influence them. I think one of the best ways to do this every year is our Strive program. Because we come in, the adults are getting ready to make their commitment. They got their checkbook out. How, many, how much am I going to give? And we come in and bam, we, we already, we're not committing this. We already gave this much. I think, man, I think, I think that God just uses that. And let me tell you this. Some of the best times in our church family is when we've had a youth group that's been on fire. Because it convicts, it convicts the adults. You can influence. And, and, and you can have set an example for even... Even the adults. Sometimes our adults will get uh, so stuck in the mundane things of life, paying bills, doing this, doing this. You know, and then they look at you, and they look at some of you guys living for a higher call, and they say, "You know what? I need to. I need that childlike faith. I, I need. I need. I need to set an example for others." Uh, I, I think of another person that you're another group of people that you set examples for. You, you, each of you set an example for the great above you. We always think, "Okay, I'm going to be an example." Who's underneath me, okay? That's not always how it works. Some of you guys can set an example for those above you. Some of you guys, in the freshman, you say, okay, I'm going to come back to that point in four years. Then I'll be able to try that. No. Some of you guys, you say, well, they pick on me. You know what? I'll tell you this. They may never admit it, but grades higher than you can come to respect you and learn from you and respect your example. So you can influence others above you. But I think especially those underneath us. I think of the junior hires over in that room. I think we are setting the spiritual tone for the youth group right now. You guys in here. These guys, you know what? They'll learn how to pay attention to winter retreat by watching you. When someone asks you to do something that's not fun, someone, hey, move all this luggage or something, and you do it with a good attitude, you have set examples. So I think of within our church, within our youth group, uh, set an example. And I don't know if I read the verse here, but verse number 17 says says this. Uh, Paul said, brethren, be followers together of me. He's saying, Paul saying, hey, follow me. He's saying, I'm not perfect. I haven't attained. I'm just, I'm just going forward. I'm pressing toward the mark every day. But go ahead and follow me. And he even said in another portion of Scripture, follow me as I follow Christ. It's okay to look to a godly example. But it's an awesome thing to set one. Let me say one other thing. Some of you guys in here, I know what it's like to have a younger brother, younger sister. And I still know sometimes you can fight, and I've been in fights and arguments with my brother uh, and with my younger sister and with my older sister. And I know how that goes. It's a tough thing sometimes. But you, especially of those of you, how many of you guys in here are, are an older brother or an older sister? You guys, you can put your hand down. You are setting an example to your younger brother, younger sister. That is perhaps, right now in your life, one of your highest callings. One of God's greatest purpose for you is to be an example to your brother or to your sister. Uh, I remember when I started dating Ashley. Ashley's from Washington State. Um, and I remember wanting to go up there and visit Ashley. Uh, and I'd always have to go to my dad. And I remember the first year we dated, my dad just, he said, no, you can't go up there. One time my dad happened to be preaching up in Washington State. And he says, you can come with me to this preaching meeting. I was so excited. I'm going to see Ashley at church, <laughs> you know, up in Washington. And I go up there and it's like, we're at this preaching meeting. It's like, hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you in so long, you know. And it's like, oh, church starts. So we're sitting there. <laughs> and then church is over. I'm like, I haven't seen you in so long. Oh, I got to go. <laughs> we're leaving now. It was such a bummer. 
And that was the first time I went up there. But then after that, I remember talking to my dad. And as we kept a good testimony, I remember asking my dad, can I go up and visit Ashley and, 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 and up in Washington and be with her family for a while? And I remember uh, he was reluctant at first. Okay, we're going to do it just for a few days. And then as we got closer to marriage, I was able to go up more frequently. But then lo and behold, Matt, me, Matt my younger brother, meets a girl from Washington as well. I didn't realize that every decision I made with Ashley was precedent setting for his relationship because he was watching me. I remember the first time Matt goes, Dad, can I go up and visit Katie up in Washington? My dad says, no. <laughs> and uh, Matt says, but you let Larry. I was like, dude, Matt, don't pull that. You know, that was like four years ago. Everything that my dad said, no, is but you let Larry. It's like he was keeping track of all that stuff. And sometimes you, you may not even know it, but others are behind you watching you. If you want to live for a higher call, Set an example for others. Uh, you don't have to wait for them to catch you doing something good. You know, like, oh, here comes the junior hires. Let's read our Bible. Okay, we did good. You know, they saw us. They thought we were reading our Bible. You know, uh, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, another way you can set an example, go grab one of these guys and say, hey, man, are you having a good time at winter retreat? This is awesome. You know, if it, it doesn't have to be awkward or anything, but did, did you learn anything in the, in the message last night? Did you like Brother Merritt this morning? Did did, what did you learn from him? Uh, that's a great way to set an example for others. Number seven, we're almost done. Those who live for a higher call distance themselves from evil. This is a theme found throughout the Bible, but I think in this passage, look at the passage, look at verse number 18. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping. I think this is neat. It's sad, really. But the Apostle Paul was so passionate about what he believed. And you know what? He had, he's talking of some people. He says, even telling you now, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. But he's speaking of some people at one point were with them. Paul says, hey, follow me. You know, follow me as I follow Christ. And some people were following him. And you know what? Then others, they stopped following him. They went off. Separate yourself from evil. Distance yourself from evil. The Bible talks about fleeing youthful lust. The Bible talks about marking them uh, uh, that aren't doing well. Not that you have to be a punk, not that you have to be a jerk, but those who live for a higher call will distance themselves from evil. Guys, if there's a friend in here that is pulling you down, rather than pulling you, than, than, than helping you in your Christian walk, you should separate from them. You don't even have to say anything to them and say, you know, there's plenty of good people in our youth group for you to hang out with. Just make that change. Distance yourself from evil. Uh, I think in in our friendships, but I I even think in our possessions. Uh, I I think so much evil exists today. The Bible tells us that we're to walk circumspectly in everything we do. Every, Every other place, whether it be on a phone, a computer, television, evil exists. We are to walk circumspectly. And when we know that there's a place where evil is occurring, we ought to distance ourselves from that. Those who live for a higher call distance themselves from evil. But then finally, those who live for a higher call live for the eternal. Live for the eternal. Look at verse number 20. It says this. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who live for a higher call recognize that everything here on earth is temporary. There's something better. And there's a better place, and that is heaven. I was studying for the sermon uh, a couple nights ago. And uh, sometimes when I'm, when I'm trying to put together a thought, 
and my brain's not going, I go to my bookshelf, and I always pull out a book. And uh, I pulled out one book, and it was uh, Brother Eldon Martin's book, The Steps of a Good Man. And I remember pulling that book out, and my brother-in-law's in town. My brother-in-law works for Brother Martin. Some of you guys may know him. Some of you may not. But I pulled out this book, and it's The Steps of a Good Man. I was flipping through that book. And uh, it was just kind of, I thought, I thought to myself, I never read that book through my, in, in its entirety, but I sat there for about 20 minutes. Actually, I stood there in front of my bookshelf just reading that book. I thought, man, this is really good. And I liked the style he was writing it. It was just real conversational. I thought, man, I'm going to read this. And I set it down on my desk because I'm going to read this later. It wasn't but five minutes later that I got a text that said that Mar- Brother Martins had passed away. It was, really, it was really shocking to me. I think partly because my brother-in-law were there and they, they worked for him. And, and uh, we were actually we were golfing earlier that day. And my brother-in-law kept on talking about Brother Martins. He used to do this. And one time I golfed with him. We were just talking about him so much. When, when I picked my, uh, my brother and sister-in-law up from the airport, the first people they called when they landed was Brother Martins. They called them because they wanted to say, hey, are you, are you in Lancaster? Would we be able to see you? Some of you may not know him, but here's a man who lived for a higher call. He lived for an eternal purpose. As soon as I got that text, um, I remember I went back into that room and I picked up that book again. It's weird how I was interested in reading that. And uh, my heart was grieving, and I went and I picked it up, and I went to the very last passage. And the very last chapter, I don't, it may have even been after the very last chapter, Brother Martins was writing, he says, what do you want? He says, when you die, the moment when you die, what do you want people to say of you? And it was really weird reading that after he had just passed away. And it was a man who lived for the eternal. There's a greater call. There's a greater cause. We heard that last night when Brother, Brother Merritt preached, but there is a much higher call. Live for the eternal. Live for the glory of God. So those who live for a higher call, first of all, they have a different value system. Secondly, we saw that they are willing to sacrifice. They have a realistic view of self. They know that they haven't arrived. They know, we know that we have a propensity to sin and do bad things. We continually press forward. Those who have a higher call endeavor to think as God thinks. Set an example for others. Distance themselves from evil and live for the eternal. Let me just say this in closing. There's a much higher call. There's a much greater purpose. You can do a lot of great things in this world. You can, you can find cures to diseases. You can make a lot of money. You can make it in the big leaves, but none of that will be as high as living out God's purpose in your life. God's high call for you. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.